John. Hi, Jeremy. <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> How are you? Oh, man. I'm good. Feeling good. Well rested, unlike you. I didn't realize we needed this formal introduction before we started this, you know, hello, hi, how are you? How's the wife? How's the kids? Yeah. You have to have a starting point somewhere. I never know when we're going to start because we do the fade in and it starts at like an arbitrary point in the conversation. We just talk. That's true. Words come out of our mouths and then all of a sudden we have a show. Is that what you call that? Words? Words. Words to the podcast. Um, so there's a lot of stuff going on. I know. I thought this was going to kind of be a boring kind of show where we just kind of talked about some stuff that we dug up and then life happened and we get all sorts of cool stuff to talk about. Yeah. Before we get into that though, I do have an update from our last podcast. Oh, this is your, yeah. your phone call. Oh, you first got. of all, did you know little, little quick thing? Did you know, do we have a, do you know, the more, you know, um, we have a, we have a, the more, you know, Oh, we have this. Um, man, I got to get better at this. You do. You suck at it. I really do. Um, Everyone I, tweet Jeremy I at how he sucks at the it. soundboard. Oh, here we go. I've got information, man. New shit has come to light. No, that's for later. Okay. That one's for later. All right. The, the, well, my your... little updates doesn't warrant that. Okay. Did you know we have listeners in Guam? I have no idea. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay. That, I get where you're going with this. So. Yeah. Yeah. My brother called me the other day. Turns out he actually listens to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so now I can count two people, my mom and my brother. <laughs> did you see the, did you see the, our Guam listener on our download statistics? Oh, you know, I haven't checked that. I need to. Yeah. And technically really it's two because he forces his wife to listen to it, but you know. Yeah. But she, does she count as a download? No, because he, he forces her to no, listen to Tell his him to feed. make her download it so our statistics go up. The, oh, our yeah. statistics that we don't even look at. <laughs> I'm sure they're there somewhere. But you, I don't even have access to them. I have no idea. I share them with you. I, I take pictures yeah. and show them to you. What are we up to now? 30,000, 40,000 downloads yeah. per episode? Yeah. It's healthy. Yeah. So anyways, um, so last week we talked about the impersonalness of the waiter kind of taking, you know, having that little interaction where you're not really handing them a card or doing that paper interaction. And I said, it won't be long before now we're going to have kiosks at the table and you won't even have a waiter. You'll just be ordering everything, you know, from this machine. Right. Turns out that's already happened. Okay. <laughs> he called me up and, and said, um, Hey, Chili's does that. They have these little tablets on the table and you still have paper menus. Apparently you still have the menu there. Yeah. But they do have this little kiosk thing, and I, I think you said you can pay from it and everything, but it's got little advertisements on it, the typical advertisements you would normally see. Um, and I actually did find an article. Is it, like, so, the, so the type of advertisement I would expect to see at Chili's would be for um, diarrhea medicine. <laughs> Tums, Pepto. Yeah. Weight loss. <laughs> it shows you a picture of a dessert and then says, oh, and you might need this as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Or it says users or people who bought this also bought this and it's like Tums and they're like, yeah. So, um, so yeah, it, it's happening. I, I guess I asked him if he liked it. Cause he, he said he'd been there. He says, yeah. Cause I don't have to talk to people. Yeah. I mean, you're, I mean, it's Chili's, right? So you're going to get nothing but bad service and you, you really want to deal with your server as little as humanly possible at a Chili's. 
It's not, I, like, I guess, it's not like you're going to a nice restaurant where your server is actually intelligent, charming, and And that's pleasant. what I picture when I picture a dining experience because I'm stuck at home 90% of the time, aside from like the lunches that we go on and the occasional outing. But beyond that, when it's me and my wife, I want to go out and have a nice experience and have someone serve us and treat us like royalty. Yeah. And not some machine that I go, right. boop, 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 here's yeah. your payment. Exactly. So I guess that's kind of what I was going for when I said it's impersonal. I mean, there's, again, there's times I think when you want it to be impersonal and Chili's would be one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, that's the end of my, oh, he, he, well, yeah, I'm not going to say what he said. (laughs) He said, he said that coffee tastes good. I don't know if he's actually had it or if he just wanted to nudge me a bit, but, um, oh, so that's okay. So I've got information, man. New shit has come to light. Uh, let me see if I can find the news here. Um, yeah. So just after we were talking about the, the, the Kopi Luau, the Kopi Luwak, um, here you go. This news, this just in news, Don't tell me new, Starbucks new news. is carrying it now. Rabbit hole brewing, which is in oh, yeah. Justin, Texas, I guess outside of Dallas, um, will debut a special Firkin, which is a small cask, um, at the untapped festival in Fort Worth on May 9th, a cask conditioned version of its rapture infused with mystical coffees, wild mountain Luwak coffee. Kopi Luwak, or Wild Civet Coffee, is the rarest, most unique, exotic, and highly coveted coffee in the world. Wild civets select coffee berries and eat them. Then after they are released by this... Released. I'm going to start calling it that. <laughs> Need um, to go release. Yeah. <laughs> Need to do a release. <laughs> after they are released by the civets, the best beans are selected and processed. Now, how do they go through... What kind of selection process? Do you have, does someone have to like pick them on and smell them to see which ones? I, I don't know. You have to taste them? I don't know. <laughs> Wow. That's interesting. So I've had their rapture. And so they're going to, that seems to be the thing with microbreweries is they have these festivals and they start infusing their beers with something. Well, and we just had, um, last weekend was the Firkin Fest, which was a relatively- Do we need to bleep that? I don't think so. (laughs) A relatively small beer festival, um, on the scale of how big these beer festivals have become around here. But, um, it was- just firkin so they were so they were almost all either kind of custom mixes of a brewery's beers or they've you know put some you know chocolate or fruit or something in in the firkin and let it you know age for a couple of weeks to infuse and and so it was all just cut like one one of a kind you know one time only beers yeah this firkin fest so how is that does it does it noticeably add to the experience or is it just a gimmick i didn't go but i've had beers that were everything from that that to like i've seen these infusers and there's a name for them i can't think of what it is but so after the you know the line that comes from the keg then goes into this infuser which mm-hmm. they can like fill with like sliced oranges or all kinds of stuff and then there's a hose that comes out the other end that then goes into the to the tap handle or the tap or whatever it is and i mean it's i, I don't know to me it's kind of gimmicky it's like i i don't want to say i'm a beer i'm definitely not a beer purist because i'm all about the experimentation but at some point i think if the brewer wanted his beer to taste like you know grapefruit he would have added grapefruit to it yeah but sometimes it might be something that's not economically viable to mass produce like hoop coffee yeah infusion i mean yeah that's true <laughs> or or I mean, gold laced beer or something I don't right. know. but i so but yeah i kind of think it's gimmicky john you didn't get our um special our I, super high-end sound treatment in here. I didn't. Should I, should I stop and go put that up? It didn't seem to make a difference last I time because I forgot last time really too. I don't care. Yeah. 
But um, I, I do need to do it and take a picture because a few people wanted to see what that looked like, apparently. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> did, they, did you even say what it was? What? Your special sound treatment. I thought I did. I thought I mentioned that we had this couch and I took the cushions off and stuck. <laughs> or maybe I didn't. Maybe I said I didn't want to own this and that's I all I said about it. But yeah, we have this couch in our office. Studio. Studio. And I took the bottom cushions off and stuck them on top of the back of the couch sitting upright so that it would kind of create this wall of cushion. Yeah. Some extra absorption. Yeah. We have a challenging space for a studio because it's, there are so many windows. It's, but that, see, I love the windows, but again, it, oh, it yeah. offers that problem. Right. I mean, we could have gone with an interior office, but then we're kind of in this hole. Turns out that windows are very reflective of sound. Yeah. But you do a good job of cleaning it up. Well, yeah, it's hard to clean up some room noise. It's kind of garbage in, garbage out at some point. Garbage in, garbage out. Well, that's my updates. What do we got next? Um, the App Exchange hit 3 million downloads. Awesome. Yeah, Woo-hoo. I know. Uh, I think. How much revenue? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, how much revenue, you know, okay. So this is interesting. They don't really talk about their revenue. Um, they do a dream force. They do kind of talk about the downloads and they try to equate that with the revenue and they break it out with a buy how much money those ISVs are generating. And of course it's always, you know, the top Salesforce top. does this. Yeah. Okay. At the developer keynote because they want to promote people doing stuff on the app exchange. And so, so they like talk Apple, about what the revenue is through, because like, the well, they we- talk about what people. Because they don't generate revenue from it, but they talk about what the Un- ISVs generate. Untrue. And this is something I still don't know much about, but the, I was, I was going to talk about that. Because we, we talked about this last week, which is that they, Salesforce doesn't make any money off the revenue that goes to the App Exchange. But um, that's apparently not true. They've added, and I haven't done, I haven't done an App Exchange, well, not, not through the full process in, in a couple of years. So, and I've never done one where the revenue is like, going through any of cell, I guess Salesforce has like a payment system now. So you can, I guess you can opt into that as, as an ISV. Mm. Uh, Salesforce keeps 15% of the revenue. Oh, okay. So if you use their payment service, then I, I well, that's a thing. I don't know. I don't know what it is that triggers that 15% because I do know there are ISVs, ones that I've, I've worked with who they, they do all their own billing directly to the client right. and Salesforce has nothing to do with it. Right. I don't think they have to report that to Salesforce and then write Salesforce a check. I, I think that's only if you're wanting to, use their, like I said, there may be their, it's a payment system or something, but, um, good day, sir. Safe, safe Harbor is we know shit about this. Yeah. <laughs> now, aren't you glad we don't have to say safe Harbor, by the way, this is a pet peeve. If you don't work for Salesforce, you don't have to say safe Harbor all the time. It's stupid. Makes you sound <laughs> stupid. Safe Harbor. Um, let's talk about this. Okay. Um, so yeah, so it doesn't, I guess in their, I've never seen in any of Salesforce's financials where they actually break out app exchange numbers. I don't think they do. No, they they don't from a reporting perspective, but at the keynote for the developer keynote. Safe Harbor. Safe Harbor. <laughs> they they uh they break it out because they want to encourage people to write for the app app exchange and they want to show that you can make money off of it. And they try to compare even the revenues to that of the revenues you'd get for from the app store, like the Apple App Store. Um, because it was a few years ago when I went and they did they did this and it was actually fairly comparing compelling i can say the words right easy for you to in say. the right order <laughs> with the right inflection <laughs> in the right 
Uh, the right emphasis on the syllable. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that sounded right in my head. For it's, the way. It, it sounds right now because that people say it's that. become so normal. Yeah. It's like I always say it. I'll, I'll see it when I believe it. <laughs> Instead of you know, but I just got in the habit of yeah. saying that. Mm. Anyways, they did break it out, and then the margins are better because you're dealing with enterprise customers and usually charging more. It's usually like some kind of subscription model versus the those numbers have got ninety nine cents you're competing though. with on the Apple Store. Those numbers have got to be bullcrap because somebody the ISVs don't share their those revenues or how profitable it is to Salesforce. They're just making stuff up. I don't know. I do know. I know for a fact. The you ISVs, know for a fact the ISVs that, that ISVs do not. The Salesforce doesn't come up and say, "Hey, we're about to do this presentation. How much are you making?" Oh, you. So you're saying they randomly like survey or? All I'm saying is that was the presentation census? they did at yeah. the developer keynote that I had attended that year, and they broke it out, and they, you know, they made a compelling argument for developing on the App Exchange and putting your product out there. Yeah. I mean, you know, Salesforce wants the App Exchange to be, you know, a big success, so they can talk about how that's a this giant ecosystem, and I think there's some. I mean, there's a lot of apps, and here's one of my questions, though. So, out of these, so in the li- lifetime of the App Exchange, there have been three million installs. Like people call them downloads. I guess they're they downloads. <laughs> I think it all stays within Salesforce. Yeah, how does I'm not it sure it's a download from the cloud? Isn't it like a transfer? It's a like copy. I mean, it, it all stays within Salesforce. A because, distribution? Yeah, um, maybe. So anyway, but there's three million. I mean, how many of those three million were people just trying, you know, installing things, trying to find an app that didn't suck? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> exactly. they, they definitely had to start curating oh, yeah. that list because it gotten so big. I mean, there's just so much crap on the App Exchange. Did you hear the way I said that? No. <laughs> I am so, <laughs> I need some sleep because it gotten so big. It's, it's I just, just <laughs> I was like, what? As soon as I said it immediately, my brain was like, huh? And you're, just, you're, still on, you're still on caffeine. You haven't even started alcohol yet. You know what? This is like, I usually have four or five things of caffeine. We'll, we'll call it coffee is my choice of deliverance of that caffeine. And uh, I don't, this is only my second, third cup. Well, that's the problem. You're, you're low. I know. Need, um, need to get some energy drink, the big monster ones. Let's see. So what else? What are other facts about this? Okay. More than 70% of Salesforce customers. Um, ha- what is this again? Um, are using apps. 70% of are using apps. I guess they mean App Exchange apps. And about half of them have installed at least two. Yeah. I mean, that, those are numbers that Salesforce would have. Well, there's a few I wish they'd stop downloading because I don't like them. There's, again, there's... <laughs> I've had to deal with the impacts of them being installed. There's so much bad stuff out there, but... Plus, there's some good ones. The other problem with, with them is that um, a lot of times they'll just deactivate them, but they won't uninstall them. and so the classes that it created are still there and I'm, it's kind of in my field of view. So I see all this junk sitting out there. that's still there. Yeah. But speaking of junk, I guess I could interject this. I mean, we've got the release notes to talk about in a bit, but um, one of the things that you can now do with managed packages coming up in the next release is that you'll build a delete. Delete what? Delete I'm, components. You can kind of delete stuff now, but only certain things. So they're, they're opening up the deletions a bit more. And from what I understand... Are we on to release notes or what? What is this? Uh, I guess I can You're wait. skipping ahead. Are you <laughs> done? Fun. No, no, we, no, I guess we are. Is I, was, that, I was transitioning. I was being a professional here transitioning, I but I, I, just, I, I, I just screwed it up, didn't I? You did. Well, you moved release notes on me. That's what it was. 
So I didn't like your entry. <laughs> you, <laughs> you had a lowercase n and I had an uppercase n on okay. the list, on our list. Yeah, no one knows what we're talking about. <laughs> so anyways, with, with this is you'll, you'll actually be able to initiate a delete command for components that you're no longer using. So you've decided you deprecated this, this component, this custom setting or this object or whichever. However, even though it's deleted, it doesn't technically get deleted. Can't use it in your, in your code yeah, or anything so like anymore. So there's no deleting. Well, they do it. They, in the notes, it states explicitly why they do it that way, because a deletion would delete data and they don't want customers to lose data. So if your, your package goes out there and just starts deleting stuff, well, what if a customer had customized that or done something to it and needed that data for some reason or another? So it ends up going into this kind of unused um, state and this unused kind of list of items. And so users will, or admins will be able to go in and get that data if they need to. But to your package, it's technically not there. It's gone. It doesn't, it's, still, it's not showing up no. anymore? Really? No. It's not in your metadata? No. You're, okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. <clears throat> Although what happens when, if later you wanted to, you added, an, say you delete a field called A. Right? I'm assuming it follows the same rules as any other deletion. It depends the underscore delete thing, whatever it does. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah Have I you mean, ever tried to restore a deleted field? It'll you have to go in and fix the API name because it, it has added, you know, delete or D E L okay. the end of it. And you got to fix it. So it doesn't have that anymore. Yeah. I mean, they've, they, you know, a year or two ago, they added a, the ability to do some, again, limited deleting or, um, I think they were calling it deprecation. Yeah. They were calling it deprecation. And but, I think it's, you know, so you could somehow mark things as to be deprecated. And then, I don't know if it was in a certain amount of time they could then be deleted or I don't know, but it's just, it was clearly, it was just kind of band-aid. I mean, it's still such a huge problem with man, um, managed packages. Yeah. Someone was talking about that the other day. Maybe it was, um, maybe it was, uh, Matt and Sean cloud, uh, cloud life. I think they were talking about that. So I have a <clears throat> moving on from that. Okay. Do you know, we have a day loader now for Mac data loader. Yeah, well, yeah. okay. Well, we've always had Lexi Loader, and that was, um, and I really think this is probably just Lexi Loader, but just officially supported by Salesforce. Did you look at it? I haven't looked at it yet. Okay. I saw it in the release notes, and I saw the kind of screenshot they put of it where you, you'll, you'll, build a, you'll have two links now. One will be, you know, Data Loader for Windows or Data Loader for Mac. I guess they, I mean, assuming it's just the Lexi Loader, same Data Loader. I mean, All Lexi Loader was was a, just a Mac version of the Java of all the same class files and everything. It's the same well, even, thing. Even the windows version is a packaged installable Java program. And that's what the, that's what Lexi loader was right. too. the Mac version, just a packaged yeah. you know, installer that you can install that dumps this Java garbage on your hard drive. Garbage. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's your Java boy, man. I, I like Java, but the Lex, the, the data loader is kind of garbage. It desperately needs to be redone. I've tried some of the other commercial ones that are out there that people have made, but they are I think you just actually the worse. Data They're, loader in general, the application is, I mean, it's a basic tool. I mean, it's not meant to be super intuitive or super error prone or error proof. I don't even care about the error proof part. It's, it's that, you know, it's super crusty. It looks, it doesn't support high DPI. It, every time you go to choose a directory to save files in or to load files, it defaults it right back to your, like your home directory. It doesn't remember anything. And have you ever had the case where the, the dialogue like is too big for your screen. Oh yeah, the settings dialogue. You can't even get to the buttons. Yeah, save buttons at the bottom. I mean, it's just it's not good. 
Um, but it's, I, I don't know, I guess Salesforce may, you know, they put it, I thought they put it out on, this is even before Salesforce started using GitHub on um, like SourceForge or something. They put the source out there a long time ago, but then they took it down. So, Because mm. I thought that's how LexiLoader came to be was they put the source out and someone took it and made a, a Mac version for it. Or- no, I mean, it's always been maintained by Simon Fell who works for Salesforce, but it's kind of like, I don't know if that's a part. Of, I don't think that's a part of his job. I just think he does that mm. just to be nice. You know how the name came about? LexiLoader? No. Developed by I think a guy at Salesforce. This was forever ago. I mean, Salesforce was. Um, I wonder when this would have been mid and early two thousands or something. But a guy named Lexi. Oh, nice. Yep. It's always nice to have your name on something. Yeah, that's true. Even though it's on the Windows version, it's not there at all. Right. I think uh, when Simon started packaging the Mac version, he decided to properly probably preserve it the namesake. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give credit where credits due. I'm going to start naming things after myself. No one else is going to do it. <laughs> I said before, I'm going to build monuments in my own backyard just to preserve my, le- my legacy. And yeah, there you go. As yeah. long as you, as long as you own it, I guess you can keep those there. I'm gonna start, they're going to start showing up around town. It's going to put them random places. That won't get you into any trouble at all. I'm sure. <laughs> so updates on the analytics. Uh, there, there's a few. Updates to it, and I didn't really pay too much attention to them, only because I just didn't have enough time to digest everything just yet. But a few things that popped up was you can now delete data sets, which is a big plus. I remember before I was saying I wasn't sure how to delete, or maybe I had to wait for a certain time to delete a data set, and I could never find how to delete it. It turns out you couldn't. Mm. So with this next release, you'll be able to do that. You still have to kind of remove all references before you can do the deletion, but at least now I can start cleaning some of that stuff up because... I was playing around. I was creating a bunch of different data sets. Before I knew it, I had a lot of ugly stuff there. Like I said, Wave was, is, is still, is still beta. I mean, it is, but I still stand by my, my statements that it's a good tool. I think it has a lot of potential. It's not going anywhere. Um, it has a lot of potential, but it's, that it's still early days, very early. Another notable thing on analytics is that, um, now you can put those dashboards, those analytic dashboards you create on page layouts. So you'll be able to kind of embed and embed embed them in sections. So you can kind of create these cool little hmm. dashboards within your content, which will be really nice for users. You have to be a you have to have a wave license in order to view those. I believe so. Wow, an expensive proposition. That's but. another enterprise license fee equivalent, yeah. right? And then they, they well, are piloting or releasing the REST API for analytics. So you'll be able to interact and create data. Well, I shouldn't say create. I just know that you'll be able to start interacting with those data sets, query them, and those kind of things. Which could be interesting. I'm not fully sure what I would use that for just yet. Um, it could be a potential way of getting access to summary information that's made available from other systems. I mean, can you load data into it that, or is that just for querying and creating lenses I didn't and stuff? go into details on it. I just kind of looked at it and thought it was notable. Yeah. But I do know you can do things like query the information and, and those kind of things. So you can at least access that type that information that's in there. Another great example of Salesforce not living up to their own, their own claims of uh, this case, a being API first way was definitely not API first. <clears throat> it was this, because you have other Develop other third-party systems like uh, Informatica and stuff. I think if it's a private API, it. it doesn't count. Private doesn't count. 
No. I mean, if you don't, if people don't have access to it, it is, you can't really count that as an API. What does API stand for? Application Programming Interface. Well, then API first is... I mean, that's like saying we, you know, we're mobile first, but we don't let you actually install the mobile app. It, it makes no sense. <laughs> Salesforce is not API first. I mean, that's obviously anyone yeah. who works with the platform knows that. Well, the query language for it, the SACL, 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 um, they've added some new... Is it SACL or SACL? SACL, I think. It's S-A-Q-L. How do you say the word, the, how do you say S-O-Q-L? SACL. SACL. Some people say so cool. They're wrong. Well, I mean, just from the beginning <laughs> days, people at Salesforce called it SACL, so that's what I've always called it. I've always it. called it that. So anyways, they, they have some new uh, date functions in there, so you're able to work with dates a little bit better. Um, it's all there in the release notes. There's a couple of different functions and things you can do, so I'm not going to go into that. Moving on from analytics, there's some minor changes to security with classes. So the with sharing keyword, which normally kind of abstracts you from everything. Apparently there was a hole in the it logic. Does what? Abstracts you. I said abstract, didn't I? Abstract? Or what do you, I don't know. I'm just trying to understand what you meant. I didn't hear what you Sandboxes said. Sandboxes you from seeing all information in the system. The with sharing? Yeah. Okay. It, it applies the security right. model, basically. Right. Okay. I'll say that. So anyways, what's weird, you know, that one thing that's always bothered me about that keyword is I feel like it's so poorly named. Like it's with, with sharing, but it's not just, I mean, you think, okay, sharing rules, like access at the record level, but it's, it's all kinds of, it's also f- uh, field level type stuff, right? And it's not just about sharing actually. It's much deeper into the security system than that. Yeah. You should way. call it with security. That'd be way better, right? With security. But then you have classes with no security. I guess that makes sense. Without security. And at least, at least you know what you're, you are, you know what you're asking for. I'm asking for no security here. Right. <laughs> Without security. <laughs> well, either way, apparently there's a hole where if you had, because of the way user object is defaulted in the sharing model, it's usually public. For some reason, I guess if you use wish sharing, you still had access to everything. And so now they've kind of changed it up to where you won't have access to it and all those kind of things. So even if it, I, I don't know if they've changed the, the default to not be public anymore or whether it's public or not, the user object, I mean, you have to use without sharing in order to access all the, the features of it. Okay. I guess before users were by default kind of accessible to everyone. Well, I mean, through code. Right. So you could expose information that, you know, maybe the user didn't, wasn't supposed to have. Yeah. So it's just plugging a little hole there. I looked at across on things like visual force and things like that. And there are changes and updates, but it wasn't really compelling. It wasn't anything that I said, Oh, we should talk about that. It was just normal release updates or maybe adding a new feature or a lot of it was centered around some updates they made to chatter and supporting those data types and, you know, some keywords for there or for the site or community, all the stuff that's not really compelling. Nothing that says, Hey, we made some really great changes to that's going to help you out. Um, but there were some things to, to kind of consider. Um, they made some changes that I think could affect existing code. So static resources, um, they're changing where they're sourcing static resources from. So, but previously the domain that your static resources were sourced from was the root domain. Now I got this as required. What do they call those urgent updates? Critical that, update. Yeah. That I yeah. already had to apply a couple of months ago. Yeah. So is that, what, 
what's the, is there something new about it here or is it just they're making it official or i guess they're making it official in fact there there's another um the the feature where they made maps and sets the order predictable that was actually an early release but they're including it in this release notes as well as you know so it's probably something that they're just including for i don't i don't even really get that one cuz maps and sets are you should never depend on like a an order on those right at least on the the this, those generic map and set interface that Salesforce defines. I mean, if you're talking about some an interface like an ordered set, obviously that's different. But right. you know, maps and sets are not by definition kind of not, not ordered. So I don't know why. I think they're just letting you. I, what I because I remember reading that one a couple of weeks ago. I think what they're saying is, hey, you know, we've uh, we've upgraded our underlying Java VM, and it's one of its changes was it basically it's not it doesn't really guarantee order, but it I think what it guarantees is if you loop through it once and then loop through it again you will get the same order. Right. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what it means. I guess they're just letting us know. I know that's kind of weird. Do they often do that? Like, hey, we upgraded Java and this changed and we're just going to roll with it. <laughs> I don't know. Are we going to start reading the Java release notes now to know? <laughs> to know <laughs> Maybe. It's not a bad <laughs> idea, really. I mean. So anyways, with static resources, they're going to start serving those up from the visual force domain. So it... And really, this is only going to affect you if you have some hard-coded references to static resources using the full URL. If you're using the resource formula expression, it's not going to affect you. In fact, that's the best practice for, for accessing resources, and that's what you should be doing, not referencing images or files directly from the root domain. Yeah. Does that make, does that make anything easier? Sir? Because, because you're, the HTML page right, is already served from a Visual Force domain, right? Right. Which creates all kinds of problems, but I know for Salesforce it lets them throw up a firewall between your yeah. page and their page, which is annoying. Um, but if the HTML serve from the Visual Force domain and your static resources, your images, JavaScripts, whatever, right, are served CSS are served from a different domain, did, did, did that did that ever create a security problem or anything? I'd really never notice any any problem with that. I don't think it did. And does it solve anything that now it's being served from Visual Force? Or I don't know what pro- potential problem it would solve. To be honest, yeah, this is I think this just comes across to me as you know Salesforce again creating work for us with no tangible benefit. But that technically shouldn't create any work. Technically, but it also technically shouldn't create any work when they change like which pod you're on. But there's you know it requires you at, at minimum to, at least if you're doing your due diligence to go through and spend some time scanning all your code to see if it's going to cause a problem and re you know re well at least when the feature comes out you enable it and you just you know do your functional testing <laughs> enable run and, your unit tests and then do your functional testing you in enable, your sandbox enable and pray <laughs> <laughs> um another feature which I, again i don't think is going to cause an issue i tried to think of how this might cause an issue i'm doing good on titles today <laughs> i'm afraid to look <laughs> I have a feeling it's everything I said wrong. No, no. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that much of a butthead. So the, the page reference method. Um, so on a page reference, you can say get content or you can say get content as PDF. And I've used those before for various scenarios. Um, but now they're treated as callouts. So at least the method is considered a callout. And so it's going to count against your callout limit to do that. Ken, why should I care whether or not that's a callout? And that's so weird to make it a, to, to for us to, to for it to count against me as a callout. Like now, I have to remember that this weird what's an internal call is actually now considered a callout to me. 
This is more of Salesforce pushing their problems onto me, which is irritating. I wonder if it just kind of creates a separate context out of it. I'm guessing. I mean, you have some code running. You call that. It creates its no, own context. It's, just, it's an expensive thing. It's an expensive thing to do to render. You got to take, you think about it. So you got to take, you got to generate all the page content. You got to apply all the CSS. Then you have to render that in a completely different language, PDF, its own, you know, d- uh, layout language. It's expensive in terms of resources. So they don't want someone doing that, you know, 20 times on a, on a render. Yeah. And that's probably how, why that came about. Yeah, I'm sure they, again, Salesforce, I've always said this, they don't scale, they limit. Salesforce is not like a scalable cloud platform. It's a limit. It's a limit platform. You know, being a good Salesforce developer is an exercise in governor limit engineering. Yeah. Well, this next one is probably pretty big, depending on how you write your code. Okay. And for those of us that like to stay within the 80 or... 1024, whatever the, the limit is <laughs> of columns on your code editor before you start a new line. Oh, okay. With, yeah, number of columns. Okay. So they're changing the way cal- multi-line statements are calculated for code coverage. So before, if you took- they haven't, they haven't fixed code coverage calculation yet, but they are going to change it. <laughs> it's still going to be wrong, just wrong in a different way. Yeah. So, so if you have, if you took like a, a number and you're appending- values to it and you decide to break those up into separate lines either for readability or, or for whatever reason those will start to count as multiple lines whereas before it would be one line so the example they gave is you have an integer and you you set it equal to some number and then you return the next line adds another number next line adds another number and so that counts as three lines but they're all one statement right but they're all one statement yeah. previously that would all count as one statement which is so it's going to fluctuate your code coverage numbers it's make your code coverage look better right you're going to get cut. You're going to get. You're going to get credit for for covering three lines of code versus just one line of code. Maybe there's a catch to it. Okay, because it's going to see whether you actually went into that part of the statement. Exactly. Yeah, well, so good. for if statements, if you break off your if statement, so if you have if this and this and this, but yet for every and you have a new line for readability, which is something I usually recommend for readability. If it never makes it to that second statement yep. in that if line so if the first one returned false it means it never made it to the other two then that's going to count as one line it's never going to count the others as other lines Congratu- however congratulations salesforce on counting code coverage in a way that no no one else in the world does yeah and however if if all those were in the same line it would count as one line but yeah. because you broke them up into separate lines it's not going to count them as one line so your, your code coverage is going to fluctuate the upside to and this- i think it's going to promote bad design oh bad okay i was going to say the upside of this is Maybe it will encourage people to split long lines into multiple lines. It will in cases like that, but it's going to discourage multiple line if statements. You know what Salesforce should do? They should just reject any class that has characters that extend beyond 100 columns. That's a bit too rigid. That's a bit too rigid. There there are times where I just want to let it go. It's just a SQL query that... but even then, my single careers are all into dip. Now. If it needs to be read, then don't scroll it. Yeah, because it's gonna not gonna be read. It's gonna be hard to read. Um, there is another bit of magic that can that doesn't count. So if you have a string and you have a bunch of string literals, when the compiler goes through and sees that string literal, meaning it's not it's a concatenation of multiple literal strings, <clears throat> not variables, literal mm-hmm. strings, right? 
the compiler and a lot of compilers do do this is it optimizes that string into a constant and so it brings it back Mm -hmm. into one line yeah and so that's going to count as one line even though you have you know my my text enter plus my text two it's going to combine that into one line right and it's going to when it executes it it's going to treat it as one line Mm. not as multiple gotcha so those are the things that stood out to me after my quick read of it there's a bunch of other stuff but nothing immensely major that got me really excited of course i go right to the apex code section of the release notes to see if they've made this terrible language any better and mm, nothing um receive well i like this receive debug logs predictably what does this mean? Debug levels now have a clear order of precedence. Previously, it was difficult to predict whether some events would be logged. Really? God, that's terrible. The order of precedence for debug levels is... Uh, do I... I don't understand this. Oh. Oh, you don't know which one's going to apply. The developer console overrides all things. Right. Okay. This makes sense. Please. I mean, do debugging, getting a debug log out of a Salesforce consistently is 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 always... Uh, just a, it's like a crapshoot. Well, they're, you know? they're offering you these, this new mechanism called a trace that will let you kind of say, this is exactly what I want returned. Um, well, what are they saying? What are, tr- um, what are trace flags in Salesforce? What is that? As far as I can understand, because I haven't seen it or played with it, it's just another way of saying, I need this level of logging. I think that's what they mean, right? And that's, that's going to override the console and any, any other settings you have. Well, it says the trace flag set in the developer console will override all other logging right. logic. Um, you can add trace flags for a class or a trigger. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, logging is still a gigantic problem with Salesforce. It's still one of these many things that prevent it from being actually a, any kind of enterprise development platform. I mean, the fact that you can't get you can't just turn on persistent logging. I mean, you get, you get 20 statement or 20 executions before your log debug log stops and it can only be two megabytes. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck debugging that intermittent problem. That's hard to, you know, nail down. Yeah. Um, the only other few changes that are probably notable and they're kind of minor, but probably should know about them because it changes the way something works. Um, this, the equal method on a string is now an object. So previously it was equals and the argument uh, or parameter was a string type. Now they've changed it to an object type. So now you can pass in any object and it'll compare the string values for those. Slowly getting closer to Java. Yeah. And the other change they made, and I, I'm not sure if this was more of a bug you fix know why they than anything. Have, you know why they didn't have that originally why? In, in Apex? Because there was no such object class. And there still isn't really like a, I think a well-defined root object, object and, you know, each class, there's not, it doesn't have a necessarily a root. So like in Java, you know, everything's an, everything eventually is an object and anything that accepts object can accept an instance of anything. And mm-hmm. Salesforce has never been that way, but they've, and they've slowly been trying to, I think, get there so that you can. I've always thought they had a, an object type. They know they didn't. Hmm. And yeah, there was not an object. I thought I've been using that. Maybe I haven't. Maybe yeah. I'm thinking S object. Anyways, the other change they made was to the date class. So the, the value of, so you can get a value of the date. Previously, if you passed in a date time object, it would return a date, but it would also still have the time information in it. 
Um, and so now I, I'm assuming this is a bug fix. Yeah. Now they're returning it and it won't have the time information in it. It'll be a true date, date type. That's the end of my list, man. Mm. Yeah, I think there's something. I'm still not doing a bunch with the lightning, so I don't really know much about this. Some of it I want to see and play. I'll be, they have a webinar coming up on the 7th um, that I'll partake of. And then um, once it becomes available in the sandbox, I'll start looking at some of these other things to see what the impact is or, you know, how valuable they are or not. ISV Force. I I still think that's a funny name. It was back in the day when you called everything something Force. Well, now everything's something cloud. I know. It's the ISV cloud. Now they have eight clouds. Clouds, clouds everywhere. Is there a debug log cloud? (laughs) Is that a cloud? (laughs) The developer cloud. We have a cloud, right? Developers have a cloud. Yeah, we deserve one, don't we? We're cloud-worthy. I feel like I'm cloud-worthy. So is that all of our release notes that we care to talk about? Yeah, yeah, we've got other stuff to get to. All right, so do you know about this new uh, HR tool that Salesforce created? No, I do not. Um, TechCrunch had an article that was, Salesforce makes hard push into, uh, hang on, hang on. Oh, you're reading of that. Salesforce makes hard push into human resources with new platform. It's a platform, John. This is TechCrunch. Everything's a the, platform. <laughs> the pinnacle of journalism. You're Tech, a platform, you're a platform, and you're a platform. <laughs> We're all platforms. But it turns out, it's actually just like a repackaging of, um, and probably, I think they enhanced it, but it's, they, it said that they take, like their existing, I don't know, like force.com labs things, mm-hmm. wrap that up into a new package, probably put some, you know, a new CSS file on it. And they they also make accessible some of the other partner HR apps. Like I don't know if it's like predefined links so that you can like buy mm-hmm. them. I mean, because they're kind of paid for, but yeah, so, so Salesforce announced a new set of human resources tools today designed to improve employee engagement. But isn't that what work was buzz phrase. Isn't that what the work or work.com was supposed to do? And I don't even think work.com is a part of this, but I'm not sure. The um the tools have been mostly adapted from existing Salesforce products. So maybe work.com is part of it and represent a significant departure from Salesforce's traditional sales and marketing targets. So again, they're just kind of reshuffling things around and rebranding it, releasing it as some new feature in hopes of getting some PR excitement out of it. I don't know. Well, it's like the verticals and some of this other stuff. I think it's just um, a way to make news and some get some headlines and I mean, it works. I mean, right? I'm always disappointed whenever they do something like this. I mean, they, they make it sound like they come out with this great new tool that's designed specifically for this and you, you get it and it's like, it's a tab. It's one of those application drop down yep. menus mm-hmm. and it's the same stuff they've already had. Right. And that's what you get. Yeah. Um, so the company created an HR platform. I mean, this is calling it a platform. That's, that's the part that yeah. is kind of laughable. Well, that's uh, that's the TechCrunch author's uh, Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, let's see. Let me. Well, the quote is. Um, where's the quote? We are. What we are doing is taking the best of our technologies and allowing <laughs> customers to, taking the best of our Force.com lab package and allowing customers to turn them inward and deliver the same type of success to their employees. They're del- you're delivering success to your employees by letting them request a, a day off of work through um, a Salesforce da- tab. It's awesome, man. Um, so the company has created an HR platform consisting of 
a combination of tools from Salesforce and its partners. Um, who was uh, Salesforce built a new employee journeys application for onboarding and ongoing management and HR help desk software built on top of the Salesforce. So it's cases and tasks. So you want to, you want to go on vacation? Um, yeah, go ahead and put a case in for that. Ask off, please. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, uh, so, okay. The final piece is Salesforce HR analytics, which has been specifically tuned to help HR personnel measure and track human resources metrics. Cool. So I don't know if that's a tie into wave or what. Did I ever tell you the story about, um, someone I know who's an admin of a system and responsible for customizing, creating some automated stuff. And this was around HR. I don't think I told you the story. No. She fired herself. Okay. <laughs> they have this system that notifies certain people when someone leaves the company mm -hmm. and she was testing it around. And apparently she forgot she was in um, sandbox or she was in production, not sandbox. And so she was testing some things out and um, left for the day and came back and everyone's like, you got fired. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. So yeah, here's another quote. Be this, careful with your HR tools. This is a guy from Beagle Research, an analyst. He says the use of things like chatter to involve more people in customer experiences helps to give meaning to job life. And Salesforce HR tools provide a way to manage processes. And that's because we all love to use chatter so much, right? That you Ch love chatter? Chatter is not for a tool, right? We, we just need to find a way to make chatter better. Yeah, make it like Slack, please. Um, yeah, uh, keep in mind it's a version one. Do you, do you safe think harbor version one? Yeah, safe harbor, safe harbor. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, this is interesting. So Salesforce, I think this is from Salesforce. They're saying um, they're hoping to you know make it's the it's the employee success platforms. They want to make your employees happy and help you keep employees. But they say that this disaffection translates into real money with Salesforce claiming that it costs two times an employee's salary to find and train a replacement. And they think these tools are going to solve that? Not just, I mean, if you can keep your employees happier. Oh, okay. By letting them request time off work through a Salesforce case, then uh, maybe they won't leave. My, my problem with all these HR tools and alike are that they're very systemic. And I think HR as a human resources function should be people. And the more they abstract you, but the more they stick the system between you and other people that are making decisions, the less of a person you become and the more number, you, you know, employee number you become. All right. So I have a tagline for, for this new application and Salesforce people, if you're listening to this, you're welcome to use it. The Salesforce employee platform, taking the human out of human resources. <laughs> <laughs> uh, How's that? There you go. Is that good? Maybe, maybe this tool will help Benioff avoid any more embarrassment of having to give women raises. <laughs> because this system will, will automatically make sure everyone's got equal pay. Yeah. Hey, if I could figure that out. Equal. Equal. I mean, it's easy to make sure people have equal pay, right? Yeah. Just figure out. Job much, function equals this price. Yeah. Divided by how many employees. Yeah. How much do you want to pay your employees over? Like, how much money do you have to pay employees divided by how many employees you have? Yeah. There you go. There's simple. Salary. That'll work, right? It's easy. I mean, it's always worked throughout history, right? Exactly. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. Uh, mm. I see you have, have a topic on here. Oz. Are we going to talk about puppies? I have a topic called awe. Yeah, Oz. Mm. Oh, no. I'm not there yet. Um, puppies. So I wanted, to, I wanted to finish by, on the HR thing, 
real quick by talking about what goes into this. So it's, em, it's employee journeys, employee communities, which I'm sure is not just rebranded communities with the word employee in front of it. Uh, HR help desk. I think it is, which I'm sure is not uh, just um, cases. Uh, no, I think it is Salesforce HR analytics. Oh, the, it, it is built on wave supposedly according to this person yeah. and engagement apps. That's if you want to get married, you can <laughs> apply <laughs> with self with Salesforce to see if, if uh, you're approved for getting married. No, it's uh, built. The, the engagement apps are built using Salesforce one. Well, employees aren't supposed to date is, other employees. <laughs> so it makes sure that your engagement is in compliance with that. Right. Uh, it, it's, and it's, it's also, there's an ecosystem of partners, including Aperio, Deloitte, Job Science, and Lumes. Oh, nice. We'll add, add there. In other words, they get to cash what? in on, on the cloud. Yeah. They should be sponsoring our podcast for those mentions. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I want to get to the Oz puppies. Out. Where are we? So where are we? Um, Oz puppies. I don't even understand where that came from. I don't know. I just look at it and saw Oz. Oz. AWS, Amazon Web Services. So they, so it's always been a big secret, right? right? What size, so, uh, you know, because Amazon Web Services is the big behemoth of infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, really infrastructure as a service, right? They have probably, I mean, they're probably 10 times bigger than their closest competitor, which is, I don't know, IBM maybe, uh, Rackspace. Um, but they, on when Amazon releases their financial results, they've always put the AWS numbers in just the other category with which includes things other than aws that's really we haven't really known what the size is but they uh, they announced it so um just in q1 uh, aws generated 1.57 billion and is pulling in about 6 billion a year at its current run rate 6 billion a year um, what's interesting though maybe, is maybe is, that's going to be the fastest 10 billion and what's weird is so they're in a total commodity and like this is infrastructure as a service it's literally you're just buying units of compute there's no software as a service there's no value add you know it's just low level services for the most part right and even though it's a commodity business low level services out of that one point one and a half billion dollars they profited 265 million dollars really yeah wow I know. how does that happen I don't know, because like I said, it's, it's a commodity business and it's, I mean, it's pretty cheap, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, they're still growing at 50% a year, even though they're at 6 billion, they're still, you know, they're saying it's going to, they're up at 50% growth per year. Yeah. But I think that whole business is sky. I mean, obviously that whole, that whole market is skyrocketing because you've got, you know, Microsoft's jump in, jumped in with Azure. Um, IBM, Rackspace. I mean, all the, there's all you know, all these different right players that are. I say Heroku, man. Well, so that's the that's the interesting thing. Um, Heroku is a is a platform as a service, so it's a higher level of abstraction. It's a more value added, you know, a lot of stuff done for you. You're not you're not plugging really low level components together typically with Heroku. And Heroku True. runs on AWS, so you can't really split it out. It, you'd be double counting those numbers, right? Isn't that what we want? Double counting numbers. <laughs> well, it's funny because I've seen some analysts that double when they, they'll actually like have a stacked graph of all these different, you know, infrastructure providers mm -hmm. and they'll, ha you know, they'll show AWS and then they'll show Heroku as a separate thing. It's like, well, wait a minute, you're double counting the AWS numbers if you're counting Heroku in with them too. Is it really a double count though? If you're trying to illustrate usage, if you're trying to figure out how big, the, mar the, the market is 
Mm. Right? Yeah. I mean, as far as I know, Heroku runs completely on AWS. Um, IBM is at $7 billion a year. Who'd have thunk? But supposedly a lot of that is like hybrid stuff, meaning software there and services they're providing to people who are trying to run private clouds and mm-hmm. you know, don't think there's software in that. Um, and also re- recently, um, AWS beat out IBM for a massive CAA contract. So that's good to know that the CIA has the power of AWS spying on you. It's like a $600 million deal. Wow. Microsoft says they're at $6 billion a year, but that includes SaaS. So that includes Office 365, their CRM product. I think um, the, the kind of the whisper numbers on Azure is that it's not even a billion yet. Like it's in its entire lifetime, it's done about a billion. So they're probably on a run rate of like a billion dollars a year. But so... That means that Microsoft's doing $5.3 billion a year of, of just their software then, which is, you know, Office 365 and, uh, and CRM. It's not bad. Again, probably a really, probably one of the biggest growing parts of their business. Looking at. I don't know. I thought I saw a bug flying. Hmm. Maybe it's just in your mind. Maybe. We have a floaty in your eye. I thought that too. I might. <laughs> floaties. So that's AWS. No, no puppies. Nope. Sorry. Sorry to disappoint. Um, did you, so did you see this Twitter stock crash yesterday? No, I didn't. <laughs> so apparently some analyst company or I actually, I think it ended up being, but the, after they did the, re, the, investigating it turns out it was like the nasdaq themselves they had accidentally somewhere published twitter's most recent financial report and i guess they put it on some private url expecting no one to find it but there's um oh they should know better there's a company (laughs) that does nothing but crawls the web looking for financial information and it found it and i guess it now i guess it it exposed it and then um twitter's just their stock just dumped. And I think they had to turn on the circuit breakers to stop it because the trading was going out of control. Wow. So, so it's not that the information was false or bad. No, it was true. It was true. It information. was true. And, it was true and bad. It was wow. bad information. I mean, it was not, it was, it was bad for Twitter. So has it recovered any at all? I don't think so. I think it's, you know, they went from like 60 something to 40 something. And I think it's just going to hover around there. Their, I mean, their revenue growth kind of halted. They say they have um, 301 average monthly active users, 301 million. I think just so many of those are just spam and fake accounts, though. There's a lot of fake accounts. Oh, it's on so bad. And here's or, the- or, or places that have two Twitter accounts, like Good Day, sir. <laughs> we have two? <laughs> oh, we have two now, because yeah. you're going to transition, right? I don't know if I'm going to transition. We'll talk about that. Okay. Um, but no, the 301 million, it's, guess, guess what a percentage increase that was from a year ago. 18%. Really? Hmm. Social media, Twitter, they only grew 18% of terms of number of users. And that, that number could be depressed if a year ago they were counting a lot of those spam accounts or, or whatever. Say they still are. Because supposedly Twitter's tr- gotten a little bit better about um, policing the, the, the fake accounts. Right. So maybe that's hurt their numbers, but they're profitable, I think. They make money, but uh, they're, yeah, they're not growing quite as fast as what anyone wants. 
Exciting news. Okay, so uh, Kramer, our friend Jim Kramer, Benioff's friend Jim Kramer, is in uh, Cal- was in California, and so of course he had to Back stop so by. soon from his honeymoon. I guess so. Maybe his honeymoon was in California, or maybe it was in Hawaii at, at Benioff's Hawaiian home. Maybe I'd have taken a month off or something. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, when you know, when you're, if you're Kramer and you're in Salesforce, you got to stop in, right? To, yeah. the, to your uh, I say what's to, up to see, my peeps. See how your partners and your investments are going. Um. So I, I I've got some clips. Actually, yeah, I've got the whole thing. It's not very long, and it's like four minutes, and that's clipped down. Oh, we're gonna listen for four minutes. No, we're gonna talk. Um, hopefully we can hear this. While we're spending... By the way, how do you like this? Is that just the effects that are it's, on this yeah, video? This, I guess the TV show. There's more of it. It's fabulous week in San Francisco. We need to talk about one of the most important technology trends of the year, cloud computing. And who better to discuss it with than Salesforce.com CEO Mark Benioff. Mr. Benioff, welcome back to Man Money. Jim, it's great so to be with you. without the visuals. I know. It just... Well, it points out how ridiculous it is. True. I mean, we're such morons that we have to be constantly inundated with. Really? In San Francisco. Yes, nice Fantastic. to be in person. The Bay Bridge behind us. What a gorgeous view. A, t- a, uh, a beautiful, well, let's see, um, boat. Go- yeah, those floating weird things that carry things. What, oh, boats. <laughs> boats. Going by us. I like that. And you're here in uh, Salesforce's headquarters building now, One Market Street. That's yeah, also very exciting. Impressive. So welcome. Thank you very much, Mark. Thank you for having me. Uh, Mark, you are uh, quoted as saying, business, the business of business is to improve the state of the world. Your stock is up 1,000% since we first said you should buy Salesforce. 1,000%. Yeah, Kramer loves to... Do you think he ever points out when people lose money based on what he says to buy? No. <laughs> up 1,000% since we told you to buy. Should have listened. Should have. How can you reconcile those two? Well, I mean, you know, when I was in business school, I was told that Milton Friedman said the business of... And by the way, this is just such an obvious example of Benioff says, this is, here you go, here's the, here's the talking sheet. This is what I want to talk about. Business is business and, you know, stay in You'll the guardrails. And um, I think there's been a pretty big shift. And I think that shift came from Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum. Elite, elite of all elitists. You know, founder of World Economic Forum, that's the Davos, big Davos meeting where they, everyone flies their jets in and has big parties. Salesforce had, the, Salesforce had like, they were, they, they, they had the hottest party there. Massive, super luxurious, you know, over the top party. Mm. Um, uh, this guy's also a, uh, he's a Bilderberg, you know, about the Bilderberg. No. Oh, that's, you have to go look it up. That's like even the more elite of the elitists and they get together. Some people think that's like the Illuminati and they like, they literally, it's like, you know, they're just planning. That's, that is the new world order. They're planning, you know, planning governments and what's, who's going to, which countries are going to get, you know, taken over and blown up and, and, you know, which banks are going to, you know, make loans to, you know, which countries and the IMF and all this stuff. I don't know about all that, but it's definitely, <laughs> uh, it's the, the, sounds like a pretty good movie. Yeah who said the business of business is improving the state of the world. And the way to do that is with stakeholder theory. And what that is is so simple. Well, I got it over because it's not... Not more of the stakeholder stuff. No. Uh, it yeah. may be simple to you, but not to our viewers. <laughs> well, the reason why it's so simple, Jim, is because, you know, we're talk all, t- told all the time, well, think about your shareholders. That's all that matters, your shareholders and EPS. The reality is... <laughs> and, and that's... Uh, 
I guess it's a good thing that, right? If we're if, he, if we're not focused on shareholders and EPS, right? What are yeah. what are Salesforce and EPS? If that's all I, I, I think it's called not applicable. Focused on my company would be a disaster. The reason my company is successful is because I'm focused on my stakeholders, not my shareholders, and that's the stakeholder theory. And the stakeholder theory is you have a lot of important stakeholders that are important for your company: your employees, your customers, your partners. The community around you, you know, all these Mm -hmm. people who live here in San Francisco, for example, the environment and uh, and a lot of other key stakeholders as well. And, you know, to really think and be successful as a CEO today, you need to think in a multi-stakeholder framework and a multi-stakeholder framework. Got to remember that one. And that's what's important. And that that's really what drives me every single day. Okay, well, you bought a company exact target. Uh, famously, I had Mr. Chorsey on. He said, listen, I hope that that uh, Mark doesn't move all the jobs out of Indiana. Suddenly, Indiana became part of the business of improving the state of the world. Well, you're right, Jim. And we, he also we threat- two and a threatened half to move people out of Indiana. <laughs> billion dollars for Mr. Dorsey's company, which is Exact Target. Which now. is a great company, and you've integrated oh. it perfectly. Oh, my. It's integrated a- perfectly. <laughs> Say what? <laughs> I knew you were going to. Say what? What? Yeah, I knew you would. Uh... Where's my. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's drinking the Kool-Aid oh, man. and it's spiked with it, something. Yeah, some good stuff. My gosh, it's the best thing we've ever yeah. did. Salesforce. Bye. By the way, you hear that? Mark said that's the best thing Salesforce has ever done. It was a good acquisition. Best thing they've ever done. Maybe. And that's, that's just a powerful statement, right? I, that company. And we got some great assets with that company, including Pardot and now it's all the Salesforce marketing cloud. It moved us into marketing, which is fast tracking to be a billion dollar a year business for us. But we became the biggest tech employer in Indiana. Okay, so I thought, oh, that's that's pretty cool. I mean, I guess it doesn't surprise me. Maybe exact target was pretty big, right? And so I went and I actually went and looked up like what are the, you know biggest employers in Indiana, mm-hmm. and I got through like the first one hundred biggest ones, and Salesforce still wasn't there. No Salesforce, no exact well, target. Tech. Surely one of those hundred was a. I mean, there were actually several in there that were tech companies and. Hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. Again, he he throws out these things. Uh, it's so easy to debunk almost every assertion he makes, and I don't know why. I guess he just gets away with saying whatever he wants. So all the issues of Indiana became Salesforce issues because of stakeholder theory. Okay. All of Indiana's issues became Salesforce's issues because of stakeholder theory. I don't know how to respond to that. I don't either. It's like, well, maybe stakeholder theory is not a great thing. Then, if it, if if all the world's problems become your problem, yeah. But I, mean, I, I think that's what he he likes that though. He's going to solve the world's problems. My my number one stakeholders are my employees. I have to do what's right for my employees. I have to advocate on their behalf. I have to be their spokesperson. I have to be the tip of the spear. And when we saw what was going down in Indiana, that they were going to be prevented from being in restaurants, you know, it was crazy. And what was I going to do? I was going to send my customers to indiana and then they are being told no you can't go to this pizza restaurant because you're gay god <laughs> should we just not even say anything no that that really uh, uh was the igniting of the stakeholder theory which is you know my job at that point is just to say hey that's not okay with us no I, uh, board of have, directors general oh, counsel yeah. they all they're all in on it so to speak at salesforce they understand this concept you, the watch, the Apple watch, you're the first guy out there. You've got a right-sizing application. Ten-second interaction, you'll find out how your business is doing. Well, I'm excited about the Apple watch. So I guess we're on that watch now. Watch, I've got mine on right here, and you're right. I can just 
hit this button and I hit the Salesforce app and look, Jim, I was it a good run, day. Well, you can see I'm running my business right from my wrist. I'm not going to answer checking that. <laughs> my customer service requests. So I can. Oh, Mark's checking his customer service requests. You know what? You know what? The next time I meet Benioff or if I ever meet him, I'm going to shake his hand. I'm going to quickly tap his, his watch so I can see what his analytics say. Well, they don't know everything. Doesn't it? It doesn't. It's got more security than that, right? I don't know. Does no, it? I don't know. I haven't gotten my watch I yet, so I don't know. <laughs> see my analytics. I can look at everything associated with my business using the Salesforce Analytics Cloud, which is our brand new product that lets customers do business intelligence. And of course, I also have it on my phone right, right here. Of which course, is your mainframe. You, is that you your mainframe and that your mini computer? Because I know when you got started, this could oh be my, my mainframe. Kramer's just—he's trying to understand modern technology. So he needs you to break it down. Is this like a mainframe and that's like your mini computer? <laughs> yeah, I got my mainframe sitting right here. It's on vibrate. <laughs> my mini computer, it could be my, I mean, it, it's amazing actually, isn't it, how computing has changed? But yes, you know, what's on my wrist today is more powerful than the computer that I learned to program on, which is only 10 miles south from here in, in Burlingame, well, California. That's a good way so, to end things. Pretty Mark, exciting. Mark Benioff, Chairman CEO of Salesforce.com. Business to business is to improve the state of the world. Their money's back. That was pretty content-free, huh? Yeah, it was. That was just a just a huge little pat on the back PR thing. I mean, you know, it was... You know what we call that? What? That was That's called an advertisement. Oh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the, so many of his interviews are turning out like that now, though. I mean, there's there's hardly anything of substance. It's very planned and coordinated. It's 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 very PR driven. And I wonder, um, you know, to sell, Mark has become the you know this social. Um, Mark likes being in the spotlight, man. He does. He likes being uh, with, that's, the, that's with his obvious, celebrities right? and posting his pictures with his Yoshikis yeah, of the I world. Mean, look and, at Dreamforce. It's basically an, an, an you know an homage to to Mark Benioff. Um, but you, you haven't been, so we'll find out. Well, I've certainly seen the news and watched the keynotes and stuff, but um, no, he, so he's become this social, um, like a leader, warrior, uh, whatever. Right. And I think if you, if you look at that combined with some of his charitable stuff and the fact that, I mean, I think he'll want to maybe at some point start doing full time, just focus on charities or whatever. I'm sure he'll start a, if he doesn't already yeah. like, um, become the next Bill Mark, Gates, you know, just yeah, he'll have his own foundation. On, it'll it'll be, focus on his foundation. Well, he has yeah. a foundation. I'm saying fun, focus yeah. on his okay. foundation. Um, Which, that's a nice segue, man. It is. Yeah, because he might have more time for that. He right? might. Yeah. He might. Because the Good Day Sir podcast is in talks with Salesforce <laughs> for a buyout. Yeah. <laughs> no. No? No one believes me? You sure? Uh. <laughs> uh, but it's funny. I mean. Okay. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about rumors. Right. We're talking about rumors. Because they are just that. No one knows anything other than a rumor. Right. So and that rumor. And this just happened like right before we started recording. So yeah, this had significant impacts on uh, Salesforce's stock. Yes. In fact, their, I believe their stock got hit the circuit breaker. So they actually stopped, stopped the trading. So people who don't know, um, supposedly uh, someone is making offers to buy Salesforce. And there's a short list, right? It's, it's Oracle, Microsoft. IBM, Microsoft, HP. Some people even think Amazon. I mean, I think it's. I, I think, doubt Amazon. Me too, because I don't well, think Amazon. Let's talk interested. about that. Let, who who is your top two that you think it would be? Oracle, Microsoft. It's mine too. In that order, because I think Microsoft, Oracle. I don't know. In I terms mean, of in terms hairs. of a uh, 
No, it's not splitting hairs in terms of probability. I think Microsoft is much more likely to buy them than Oracle. I think, I think Benioff is much more likely to entertain the idea of Microsoft buying Oracle. Unless, unless my, my, uh, Benioff thinks he can become CEO of Oracle. Which I, I read out there as well. Yeah, I mean, I think some people think that that's, you know, he would like to do that. I mean, that's where he got his start, being paid large sums of money to basically throw parties. He was like the professional party guy. Which is kind of what he still is. Yeah. Um, I should start throwing parties, man. Looks like a lucrative business. Write software and throw parties, man. That's the life. Yeah, and people, I've also saw speculation about Apple. I, I, that's, that's Apple's nowhere in, in that, this. That's an absurd suggestion. Yeah. Right? They hate enterprise. Um, but I think, it, I think it would make sense for Microsoft. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know how well that their CRM product competes but i think they'd probably just um transition it over to salesforce for microsoft yeah i see i i, I see a salesforce acquisition by microsoft being extremely strategic extremely valuable to microsoft more so than anybody i think oracle would be a smoother transition i mean first of all salesforce runs on oracle salesforce is a java shop oracle right. is a java shop it just oracle owns java Right. <laughs> not just a Java shop. I mean, <laughs> they always have been a Java shop. Now they just happen to own it. Um, but it's so big. Oracle? Yeah. Yeah. What are they? 100, 100 billion a year? Yeah. Mm. And they've got, I mean, and I guess you'd have to look at, you know, who has, I think they both have the cash. Um, I think Oracle is a little more conservative, though, with, than Microsoft. That's the only reason that makes me think maybe Microsoft would be more likely. Yeah, I think they're more willing to take that. that a lot chance. of these companies have their cash offshore. And the question would be, you know, do they have to bring that back? Um, they probably want to pay with as much stock as possible. Mm-hmm. But do they bring, they, if, they have to, if they have to bring cash back to buy, then that means they have to pay, you know, tax it on that, you know, probably yeah. 30%, right? But I mean, in the last few years, I mean, Salesforce has been cozying up to Microsoft. Yeah. Um, I also saw on some of these rep- on some of these reports that popped up. You saw these like these I don't know, basement bloggers at Forbes and uh, probably even basement Fortune. Bloggers. Some of these, you know, one of them said that um, it's 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 widely known that that Salesforce has been reporting false numbers for years. So whoever the buyers will be in for a rude awakening. Saw that. Um, you know, why would someone pay you know fifty billion dollars or more for a company that has lost hundreds of millions of dollars over the past several years? But again, it's that, you know, the answer to those questions are, it's all about the future, right? Right. And what's it really worth? I mean, just because it's, you know, if you could combine it with Oracle and some, and finally hit, you know, economies of scale or, or leverage as the right. financial guy call, call it, um, then maybe you could turn that into a cash, you know, Salesforce could, I'm, if they would, if they, if they wanted to, they could f- totally throw off cash. Right. But I think they've still been in just you know, invest and churn and just grow. It's a, it's just the land grab, you know, it, invest everything you have, but that could be, that could be stopped. And then it would just turn into a cash cow. Right. Maybe. I don't know. That's the, that's the theory. But do you think, do you think Benioff would want to give up the limelight, the limelight of Salesforce? Um, that's a good question. I mean, it depends on where he's at in life. I mean, I don't, you know, he's, he's kind of young to start the, the whole, I'm just going to do philanthropy thing. Yeah. Although, I mean, with, with that, 
if he did, if this is going to happen and Salesforce is going to be acquired, I mean, what's going to happen? I mean, he's, I guess he's already, I mean, he's already worth, you know, several billion dollars, but I guess at that point, if it's, if they get, if they get bought out, then that'll actually, a lot of that will convert to cash. But I mean, I'm sure there'll be some transition period where he'll remain assuming that something happens that he will remain or even take on some kind of role. Yeah. And that but, role may even be CEO. That's, that's the thing I would, you know, imagine. and I think that's probably the only thing that would entice him is, is, is a role like that, yeah. that, or oh, yeah. he focuses full time on, on his foundation. I don't think he would take a role as like senior VP at Oracle. Right. right. Exactly. <laughs> He's been there, done that. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, as much and I don't as, think Microsoft is going to offer a CEO position as, as much as, you know, Benioff and, uh, and, uh, what's the Oracle guy? Um, Ellison. Ellison. As much as they love to trade these barbs in the press and everything, which I think is just a show. I think, yeah. they, I think they call each other. It's like, hey, let's do, let's, uh, let's do something again here. You know, we're not getting <laughs> in the news enough right now. I mean, because they've been friends forever, right? Well, they picked that up from their celebrity pals. Yeah. I mean, they like, didn't, didn't Benioff like Trading do, false PR. Do, do one of their guys' wedding or something? He actually officiated. I think Benioff has like illegally can officiate weddings or something. And he officiated like one of those guys' weddings. It, or maybe, <laughs> maybe that was the NetSuite guy, Zach Nelson. I can't remember, but they're all former Oracle guys, I think. I mean, they, you know, Oracle gave birth to a lot of these people who are running big tech companies now. Um, but I, I think he would do it for CEO. I think he would stand for CEO, maybe. But I could also see him just saying, yeah, I think I'm just going to chill for a while. So what is a, what is a buyout? A buyout mean? Does a buyout mean that Salesforce, either Benioff, wants to move on, or that Salesforce's future is a bit in question? Well, I mean, you know, as far as their future being in question, I mean, they are under some pressure. There's questions about the way they report their numbers. Why haven't they hit some leverage? You know, why are they still losing money? Why are they still having to use so much um, stock to compensate their employees? Um, those are all questions that it's, they're tough questions right now. And, and as Salesforce's growth is starting to slow down, I know this sounds like a broken record here, but that's becoming more of a problem they're going to have to deal with. Right. They're gonna, either going to have to start making money, being more operationally, you know, cash flow positive or get bought out and let someone else deal with it. I mean, there's a lot of valuable, I mean, Salesforce is just the, the asset of their technology and their customer base and the recurring revenue is worth a lot of money, you know, probably maybe $50 billion. So why not cash out and let someone else deal with the problem of, you know, what do you, how do you take it? How do you take it, you know, to 10 billion? Right. Cause it's, you know, may not necessarily be, it may, that may be a rough road and, you know, maybe, maybe it's interesting. I don't know. But, could be, um, could be the last dream force of the year and next year it'll be a, what Oracle, Oracle one. Is that Oracle what they call world it? Or whatever. Oracle world. So the most recent news is that Salesforce has hired financial advisors to field. No, no, no. That's not what I was looking for. I thought I, I thought I read that they were. Um, no, I think I read that too, that they were, they did fend hire, off. Yeah. To fend off takeover offers. No, I think to fend off questions about it. Oh, this is interesting. This is one of those examples where in this article, the slug says Salesforce hires advisors to fend off takeover offers, which is probably from their CMS system. When they put the first title in there, that was the title. <laughs> but when you actually read the first paragraph, it says Salesforce has hired financial advisors to field yeah. takeover offers. Big difference. No, but uh, field make it seems like, hey, we're, we're up we're for sale. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Put, place your bids. Yeah. I, I think, <laughs> I think more accurately is 
how did this even get out? I mean, who said what? I mean, this seems like a major leak. It is. I don't know. I mean, these things are, I think, hard to keep under wraps. I don't know. Unless it was leaked on purpose. Maybe Salesforce leaked it to get other bidders in. Which, right? would, mean, which would mean that it's further along than they, like, than so, they thought, so imagine, than, than we know. Imagine Microsoft comes, came to Salesforce and said, hey, we, we are interested in, in, in taking you over. And, my, and then Salesforce turns around and leaks that to someone. So that, well, now you're getting a, into conspiracy no, theory. Sorry, I'm just saying these things kind of up the price. So it starts a bidding war. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's let Oracle and uh, Amazon and, and IBM and HP know. Let's let them all know. You know, you want to take the highest bidder. You want to get what you're worth. And how do you know what you're worth unless you unless people know that there's a market available and you right. you're for sale. So that's the. Uh, well, that that's certainly uh, that's the dramatic news for today. It is <laughs> extremely dramatic. <laughs> And it could amount to nothing. It Absolutely yeah, nothing. There's, you know, everything. In fact, um, Adam Lashinsky. Maybe they just wanted a spike in the stock. Who knows? Adam Lashinsky t- tweeted earlier that, you know, Salesforce is completely tight-lipped about this. Like, no one is saying a word or even answering their phone. Which is smart if you don't want to get fired. Yeah. So. Okay, so our final thing is, are we, you want to talk about the uh, this Microsoft thing today? Yeah, we have time. Where are we at? Make it fast. <laughs> How fast? I don't know. It probably will be because I haven't had a chance to actually use it or spend time with it other than to click the download button and go, ooh, okay, I so think what I know we, what this is. What are we is. talking about? We're talking about the Microsoft cross-platform IDE called uh, Code, right? <laughs> Visual Studio <laughs> Code. I've, I've always liked Visual Studio tools and, and particularly what I really liked about them is their debugging tools. And I think that's what most people like about it. Um. But that's because they had full control over everything of the the compile and everything of the development environment. So if like if you were doing VB, in fact, VB was my de facto standard for debugging for the longest time because I could actually walk through my code. I could run it, I could stop it, and I could step through it. It's been around for fifty years, though. In a, in Tools a, like C plus didn't have that. Absolutely, they did. interactive debugging for when decade? Huh? When C and C plus plus? Yes. My gosh, forever. Oh. Well, I didn't know about them. I mean, even before there were user interfaces, there was GDB. You can interactively debug on mm. the on the terminal. Well, either way, that's what I liked about them. That's what I liked about those tools, and that's what I liked about them. And C Sharp lets you do that, and I like that about it. It helps. Yeah. It helps solve so many well, problems so so much faster. And so I know I've said I, I I think I disagree with you somewhat on Microsoft has the best tools. They have good tools. They spend a lot of money developing high quality tools. The thing that's always rubbed me a little bit wrong about Visual Studio, though, and 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 before that, there are other you know, kind of visual development tools. Is they're so Windowsy, right? No, I don't. How are they Windowsy? They just they just are. It's, it's the same formula as everything else. You have your sidebar with with all your folder structure, and then you have your yeah. main code window. But and they are but they are well done. I mean, it they're could high quality, it could right? be Windowy if you have like a bunch of different things loaded and yeah. and put into little frames everywhere. But that's and, more and, of a choice. And then than for anything. a while, Windows was or Visual Studio was really late to the game on. Like quality refactoring tools. Um, refactoring was always an issue. It's better They've now, gotten it's better. better. Not as good as some, as say, you know, Sublime Text Editor and all those kind of things. Or, I don't even know about that. In fact, if you, if you found good refactoring on Sublime Text, I need you to show it to me. Um, I'm just talking about being able to rename things or grab a bunch of different things and, you know, rename multiple things at yeah, the same time. Yeah. You know, just that kind of quick iterative thing. And that's, that's pretty cool, but it's even way better in a static language. Like, say you're working in C Sharp or Java where the, the tool that you're working, this integrated development environment knows 
if you, you know highlight the word uh you know whatever some word laptop mm-hmm. and you you have as a code like a, as a as a name and code it actually knows it's not just looking through dumb text in a dumb way it actually knows um what are actually instances of that of that exact variable because it's got you know a um an abstract syntax tree drawn of all, of all the code and it knows you know what's what and understands the language um right but yeah so i I can remember when you know even eclipse but especially like intellij which is my, my favorite ide i mean had refactoring that just blew the pants off of microsoft but then actually as the people that make id or uh, intellij they created um re, uh, resharper right mm-hmm. for visual studio yeah and so that was you know for the longest time and maybe still be the best refactoring you know option for visual studio i know that i know that visual studio the last time i saw it, which was a couple of years ago they had just natively had, there was quite a bit of refactoring in there but um yeah so so i mean this is cool i've been saying forever i mean i if if microsoft would like port.net to other platforms namely mac and linux i mean mm-hmm. i'd be i'd be totally on board with .net. they still have a ways to go on porting it um so this will support kind of no JS type stuff, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, and ASP5. Um, but to do that on a Mac, you'll have to have mono. Really? I mean, not you don't have to have mono. I mean, right, the, right, the open source mono library. <laughs> okay. Mono so library. they made it so that it, it will plug into mono, though. Yeah. Okay. So you, obviously, you can't, you're not going to develop like um, Windows apps on. No, this is strictly, you know, web technologies that you're going to be okay. basically deve- okay. using this development environment for. Now, I think eventually as, you know, we know that, you know, .NET got open sourced or the, yeah. Did it? Yeah. Yeah, but it's no one, well, it's, it's, maybe it's open source, but, you know, the the big problem Mono always had was there was no reassurance for Microsoft that they wouldn't eventually sue Mono. So no one wanted, wanted to really invest in it and no big companies could use it. Using Mono with Visual Studio Code, it's in, it's in their FAQ that says, can I use this? Can, what can, what do I, what else do I need to install to use this on my Mac? And one of the things that says mono. Right. And that's for the ASP stuff. Yeah. I'm saying that's why so, years so ago. So the .NET got open sourced, which means that now we have, now mono can be official basically because they're fork, they're basically forking that. Who's forking it? I mean, I'm, they're not forking it, but they have their own library. The code is open source. So they're, they're not going to get sued. And on their site itself, you know, Microsoft and Visual Studio are saying, hey, you, you use Mono if you're going to do this on, on a Mac. Yeah. So they're, they're officially kind of saying, hey, it's okay. Yeah. You know, we're good. Right. We're friends. We're buddies. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. It opens up the world to potential, you know, being able to write desktop applications that are using the, the .NET um, framework. But it, it also kind of points to, to the fact that, you know, a lot of our future development probably will be web technologies. You know, we rely less on native applications and, and do more with web technologies. Well, what's interesting is using web technologies to write native applications. Right. Like that's cool. I would We're, like to see, you know, an exposure of OS APIs and made those accessible to web technologies. And thus and then you're writing native at that point. Isn't that kind the, of the I mean, choice of language doesn't so matter. It's kind of that, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I I just think it's it's you know one of those things that's uh, you I never thought I would see or I was never sure I would see the day when you know Microsoft released a code editor for Mac right but it's 
I mean, this is but this is got, this is just a next step in what's been a really interesting trend at Microsoft, and I think yeah. it started way before the new CEO was CEO. But really, he is just I think. Um, put you really a, think it started before that? Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. I think getting. I think you know. No, I think it's Gates just, moving on and definitely Balmer moving on. Has, oh, Balmer has, had to go. Yeah, but, but there were people. The, the, the guy like um, uh, what's his name? Scott uh, something that ran like the developer mm-hmm. side and stuff. I mean these these. There have been people working Microsoft from the inside, from deep within the inside, pu- trying to push it. Right. And now we have a, a leader who's willing to shepherd that and support it and, and move it. And right. It's, it's a different Microsoft, that's for sure. It's going to, I mean, you know, I, I think, I mean, the ultimate thing, again, is, is if .NET was ported. But, uh, there, you know, there'd be, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know if Microsoft's ready for that, if they even want to do that. I don't know what the business interest is in them doing that. <laughs> Well, because it's it's no longer a Windows world, and it's it's no longer they they can no longer rely on lock in of of the Windows ecosystem. No, they have to play right. along with all these different systems. They have to play along with mobile. They have to play along with web. They have to play along with all these things where the OS does not matter. So their their cash cows have been Windows and Office, and Office. right? And now, I mean, Office is seen- and those have been cash cows because they've they've had. They've had market share. Well, and it's been a lock-in. Like, I mean, you had to forever in business, you had to have Excel and Windows, right? Yeah. You had to. You had to buy it. And that's when, you know, when you, if you went and bought Office, it was $500 yeah. for Office. Well, now it's much cheaper than that. Now companies are running on the cloud. They're, they're running on Google, Google Docs. Docs. Yep. Um, yeah. And, and, and it's not a Windows-only world anymore. It used right. to be. It's not. So, so and the problem is, you know, so how do you... How do you maintain the financial performance of a, of your company when you're losing? You seem to be losing your two big cash cows. I mean, what? Why would I port .NET to anything? There, I don't get money from. They're not selling .NET, right? They're not selling the tools. They're free. I mean, we're in a we're in a world now where people don't like to pay for anything developer related. I don't mind paying for quality. I'm I'm not talking about you. <laughs> No, it's true. I right. mean, everyone's looking for the, for the free thing. I, I I value good tools, and I value the developers that develop those tools, and I want to make sure that you know me using them or me purchasing them is making sure that those tools continue. Right. That's it's why not I'm, just some open source thing that oh yeah, it's great today, but yeah, a year later it's dead. Right. That's one reason. Like I, you know, I have no problem paying for IntelliJ. It's a really good IDE, and it's totally worth the money. Yeah. I mean, and people I, like to think free is great, but at some point, someone's got to feed their family. At some point, someone someone's got to con- continue to move on and live in the world. Yeah, it's the men, it's the everything should be free mentality that kind of gets dangerous. Yeah, but cool. So, anyways, when I saw it, um, I thought it looked like Adam, the editor Atom. Yeah, Atom. Yeah, but so it wasn't right. It was isn't didn't have some kind of similar underpinnings though. So Adam, Adam the IDE is is based on Adam Shell. And so this is actually based on Adam Shell, which is now called Electron. I'm not sure why they changed all these names, but anyways, it's based on Electron. Okay. And Electron is based on IOJS. And you had asked me what it what that was based on. And I said Node.js. And I did some more research and found out, oh, it's not Node.js, it's I iOSJS. However, iOSJS is based on Node. It's a fork of Node. Cool. So it's a long story. Yeah, I knew about IO. I knew about IOJS. Yeah, um, they were just frustrated with Node for whatever reason. Right. Anyways, that's all I got. That's all I got. And to that, I say, good day, sir. 
Good day, sir. Sometimes I hear things my wife says and convince myself I should do that. Salesforce makes hard push. By the way, how do you like this? A great company and you've integrated oh. perfectly. Oh my gosh. I'm running my business right from my wrist. The reason my company is successful is because I'm focused on my stakeholders, not my shareholders. Think in a multi-stakeholder framework. Jim, great to be with you. Thanks, Jim. Great to see you. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. 